Inflation in the US has slowed. Is this a win for those arguing that it's all transitory? Has it peaked? And what does this mean for the Fed? There's been quite a market reaction to the news, but there's also concerns over COVID in China as well. The Aussie dollar is still recovering from Philip Lowe's dovish speech yesterday. UK employment numbers are doing okay, but there's a million jobs left to be filled. A million. And China's activity readings today, what are they going to show us? It's Wednesday, the 15th of September, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a change in direction for the US dollar, not a particularly marked one. It's down a little this morning, losing a third of 1% to the Japanese yen, though, and the Swiss franc. That's not helped the Aussie, though, which is down three quarters of 1% on the US dollar. The Canadian dollar also losing uh, by 0.4%. The pound down a quarter percent as well. Big falls in shares as well. The Dow down 0.9%. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ both down 0.6%. Banks amongst the big losers overnight. Apple launched its new iPhone 13, the Pro and Pro Max 13, with a better camera, apparently, and its shares are down 1.2%. Maybe we're just happy with the camera we've already got. And falls in Europe too, but less pronounced. The DAX is actually up a little, in fact, and uh, China's felt the brunt of it all as well. The CSI 300 was down 1.5%. And a big move in Treasuries, 10-year yields down 5 basis points to 1.27%. The spread between short and long yields has fallen too, and oil growth has stalled. This all sounds a bit risk-off to me. Let's talk about it all with Rodrigo Cotrill from NAB in Sydney. Um, a lot of this comes from those inflation numbers from the US, doesn't it? I mean, we were saying, you know, is it really that important? It's jobs that can, but the market has really reacted to this. Inflation has come in lower than expected, uh, and, you know, it seems like markets aren't particularly happy with that. Stocks down, the shift in bonds, sell-off of the US dollar. Is that all really just down to these CPI numbers? <laughs> Morning, Phil. Yes. Uh, so um, it's, it's probably also worth highlighting that when you look at the price action overnight, it, it has actually been quite volatile, particularly when you look at effects. Um, mm. The reaction, the initial reaction to those CPI numbers saw the, the dollar, the big dollar go down quite sharply and, and broadly. Um, with the Aussie really re- reversing all those losses that we saw uh, because of the RBA and during the um, uh, yesterday's session. Um, and then it just came down uh, quite significantly uh, after that. So, so the net effect is, as you say, the dollar a little bit stronger, but after a, a big up and down sort of uh, price action. Um, so we, we think there's been a, a couple of factors going on. Firstly, uh, as you say, the CPI came softer than expected. Um, so that, that, you know, the big picture provides a little bit of, of room for, um, you know, um, uh, the Fed to think a little bit more about when to do tapering. Um, yep. In terms of the sort of the transitory arguments, there's, there's, there's a nice narrative there that favors the view that, yes, this, these factors that have been lifting inflation are indeed transitory, like the decline in, in used cars, which have been a big contributor to that, uh, and also airline tickets. Um, mm-hmm. But when you look at it in more detail, there's, there's also that concern that, for one, um, some of these factors may may go up again. Um, if you think airlines have come down because of the Delta variant, then once the Delta variant that looks to be sort of fading, you should expect an increase again on that. Um, whilst at the same time, those underlying factors that tend to be more longer lasting and, and lift the core inflation, such as wages and, 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 and rent cost or the cost of living in a sense, uh, those are mm. still ticking higher. So. Um, so it's a mixed picture, but uh, um, as I think importantly on the day, the core, core inflation has gone down significantly uh, and it favors the view that, you know, at least there's not this imminent huge rise in inflation 
Um, yeah. and, and, and overall, that's been reflected in the price action of U.S. Treasury yields, where we've seen, um, you know, the, the curve flattening, uh, whilst at the same time, and easing those uh, pressures with uh, a break-even or the, the price of inflation also coming down a little bit. Um, right. So that's the one factor. But in terms of the risk-off, what we're seeing is that there's been an underperformance of equity markets. And as you say, some of those that are linked to, to, to the price or the movement of the curve, like financials going down. But then there's this other narrative, uh, which I don't think has play, uh, had a, quite a lot of attention, is that there's a growing concern about what's going on in China, and that's been reflected in the softness in commodities overnight. Um, yeah. uh, we've seen not only metal prices go down, but um, you know, a reversal of that rise that we've seen in, in oil prices is sort of coming off a little bit. Um, and there, there are ongoing concerns about the new COVID outbreak in China in the southern eastern province of Fujian. Um, where those numbers continue to increase, not at a massive rate, but the thing is that China has a very, very sort of strict approach to fighting yeah. COVID, and, and that's concerned. Supply about, concerns. Yeah, yeah. And, and activity as well. What, what is going to do yeah. to activity? And as you say, um, the supply concerns, which now also have been sort of a little bit uh, amplified by concerns about the typhoon, that is the Shantou typhoon, that is, is closing uh, airports in Shanghai, uh, as well as um, uh, ports as well. So, so there's, a, there's a narrative there that has been reflected in the weakness in commodity prices, concern about the, you know, the uh, so, uh, supply constraints on growth. Um, and, and I think uh, that, that's also contributed to, to the decline of the Aussie dollar uh, in, in the end of the day. Right. But the reaction to the CPI is interesting, isn't it? Give, given that, first of all, we were saying yesterday, you know, it, it's really jobs that are the focus for the Fed. Uh, and secondly, the expectation, you know, it's not its not actually that far from the expectation. A lot of people were saying uh, CPI would fall and it has fallen. Uh, thirdly, it's just one read in what's a very volatile environment. But also, I mean, could CPI be falling because demand's falling? If people are just finding goods too expensive, perhaps because of, of supply constraints or uh, also, you know, the cost of cost of labour and production is, is going up, which could mean less consumption, which would mean, a, a, you know, a lower Q3 GDP, for example. Well, uh, you know, uh, this is the, I was giving a lesson on, on economics 101 that they just as a reminder in terms of what this is all about. So there, there's been a supply shock and a supply shock means that, you know, you, you, you reduce output uh, or the ability mm. of the output in a sense because of this the shock. But also there's an element of, of demand destruction as prices go up. Um, and there... We, we don't know yet where we're going to land on this because it depends on yeah. how, how long a lasting this supply shock is. But it's quite right to point out that if, if this is prices, the, the, the spike in hike has been driven by a restriction in supply, that inevitably means that people have to pay more for a limited amount of output. Um, yeah. So, so it's certainly decide it's, to hold off. Yeah. yeah. And then that's yeah. the dynamic. Yeah. And that's the concern. And that's the sort of the big kind of economic questions about we know consumers cashed up. We know consumer has a lot of savings. Um, mm. But are these uncertainties and the rising prices too much for, for the consumer to say, you know what, I'm actually going to wait and see how this plays out? Now, you mentioned the uh, the weaker Aussie dollar against the uh, the US dollar uh, today. It stayed that way overnight after Philip Lowe's talk yesterday. I mean, people must be wondering, uh, you know, why it's taking so long, because uh, Philip Lowe is still saying 2024 before we see a full recovery in jobs and uh, and rising inflation. You had Philip Lowe yesterday, <laughs> really, I mean, he's really having a, a bit of a go at the markets, wasn't he? Because because they've all sort of priced in uh, that uh, next year or early 2023 is when we're going to see a rate rise. Uh, and he's basically saying, no, 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 stop that. Listen to what I'm saying. 
<laughs> yes, she, she was definitely having a go. But I mean, to, to be fair, the, the, the message hasn't changed. Uh, we know, for mm. one, the RBA is very confident of the rebound in, in the economy as, as, as we look to reopen. Um, there's, there's obviously been a bit of a delay to that reopening because of, of, of the outbreaks. But here, but again, he reiterated that, you know, the experience from other countries and, and in terms of the vaccine rollouts do suggest that we should expect a rebound. And, um, um, and that kind of plays to the view. And I, I, he actually also mentioned that the, the surveys, such as the NAB business survey, that are pointing to the resilience of of, of, of our businesses and that they should be ready and will be ready to, you know, reopen as and when that happens. Mm. Um, and then the other message, as you say, is, is this pushback in terms of market pricing. He, he probably was a bit more explicit um, in terms of kind of saying he just couldn't understand why the market keeps on doing that. But uh, um, the message there has always been for quite some time now that, uh, you know, they reiterate the view that they do not see the conditions for rate hikes uh, until 2024. And again, he also stressed that, that particular issue that uh, here in Australia, unlike uh, evidence that we've seen in Canada, New Zealand, um, and also in the US, is that we haven't yet seen those price pressures in, in terms of wages, which is an important mm -hmm. component to see inflation sustainably above 2%. Uh, and in his view, because of the structure of the, of the market here, um, it's, it's going to take some time. Um, and, the, and that's an argument for us to, to but, for all of us to, to be patient. But house prices, Q2, 16.8% year on year. He's not worried about that? Well, um, you know, we've got to remember that the RBA's policy is about, um, you know, lifting aggregate demand. And, and in, in that sense, or... Uh, or the RBI's ability to affect economies through a lift in aggregate demand. So um, he's not concerned about house prices yet. Um, uh, it's also a reminder that, as we saw, you know, a few years back, that if, if there are concerns about, um, you know, credits, uh, concerns about too much ebullience, if you like, uh, there are measures that they can introduce uh, from, mm. you know, the regulatory side to, to ease the availability of credits. Um, so... Um, and ultimately, it's, it's not his, uh, you know, remit, if you like, to, to be concerned about the, the house prices as such. Uh, this is an issue that he, he expanded on, uh, on. There are other ways of trying to affect how, how house prices go up. Um, and, and overall, his general sense is that he's not concerned at this stage. But, you know, if there was to be issues, um, there are measures that can be introduced, such as the restriction of credits and, you know, the, the, the level of deposit that you can have or need to have in order to buy a house in order to call the market. Well, 16.8% seems like a big number to me. But anyway, uh, we'll move on. He mentioned, you mentioned, he mentioned the NAB business survey. He's a speed reader, isn't it? Isn't he? Because I think it's <laughs> like an hour before, an hour before, uh, unless he got a sneak preview, but we told people don't get that. Uh, but uh, it was good, wasn't it? We saw an improvement in confidence and, uh, and business conditions despite all the lockdowns, but the, the positive signs were strong forward orders and CapEx spending is down from the start of the year, but it's, it's not too bad. Generally, I mean, it was all pointing to the fact that we should come out of this uh, with a you know a, a fairly strong rebound. Yes. So uh, in particular, business conditions improved, um, and and what is also encouraging is that when you look at the states, uh, New South Wales showed showed a, a nice improvement from from two to plus thirteen. So so it was a nice jump, and again points mm -hmm. to that resilience of of, of businesses um, in light of the, the lockdowns. 
Um, but a business condition, of course, they still remain subdued. They're, they're negative, but they're up a little bit from negative seven to negative five. So it does suggest that overall businesses uh, are coping a little bit better in, t- in, re- in this lockdown relative to what we've seen prior to that. Now, I'm very confused about the UK employment numbers that were out overnight. They've got 183,000 new jobs, which is almost double the, the May number. This is in, in June. Uh, almost 60,000 fewer claimants. The t- number of hours worked, which, you know, we've been saying is an important number to look at. Uh, when so many people are furloughed, just above 1 billion hours in total work, which is actually back to pre-pandemic levels. So all of that sounds good. But then job vacancies, also the ONS published, over 1 million of them. This first time since records began that they've broken the million mark. So uh, lots of people working, but lots of job vacancies. I don't know whether this is all COVID or whether Brexit's part of it and and what the impact is. I mean, because could this create supply shortages? You'd think so, wouldn't you? And potentially, therefore, uh, pushing wages up. Yeah, that's that's where that's where it all point is pointing at the moment. The, the only thing mm. is that we have still the furlough impact, um, and and that that still is creating that noise in the data. Um, so we, right. so we, but the hours worked is strong, so that would suggest that most people are already back at work. Well, the, it still doesn't tell you um, what is the impact from those that haven't yet gone back to work. And there's still the number, which is, um, let me remember, I think it's around 5% of, of the labor force. So, so it's still a significant number that can actually change the narrative. Um, so that's it. That's why we need to wait, essentially, for, for the fellow scheme to, to fade, if you like, and, and to see where we land in terms of uh, where, where the labor market is, particularly in terms of this, this issue of spare capacity. Um, but overall, there's certainly that demand for, for labor, and, and this also is encouraging that you know, the, the labor market is, is performing well in, oh. in, the, in the UK. All right, very quickly, the, uh, the big numbers today are going to be the China's uh, activity readings, industrial production, fixed asset investment, retail sales. What are they going to tell us today, do you think? Well, I think that the overall message there is that the numbers are going to be weaker because of those lockdown measures that uh, were introduced in the second half of July through August, most of August, uh, in order to contain that, that virus outbreak that began. Um, uh, in the second half of July. Um, if anything, the risk is that the numbers actually proved to be uh, weaker than, than expected, and that could rattle markets in terms of the, uh, the state of the Chinese economy. Right. I think. Okay. Also, UK inflation numbers for August, New Zealand's Q2 current account balance, the, uh, the Empire Manufacturing Survey in the US, also industrial production for August, and Aussie consumer confidence. I'd ask you if you've got anything to say on all of that, but we're out of time. Perhaps I will ask you if we're going to get anything out of Philip Lane, the chief economist at the ECB, because he's talking at the Institute for Monetary and Financial Stability today in a webinar which is called the ECB's Monetary policy strategy review is there any more that he can give away on that if we had it all before do you think well perhaps we get a little bit more detail in terms of a reminder of what this this new inf- approach to inflation is uh, and, mm. and we can remember that overall it seems that the ecb will be more patient uh, in terms of um, its policy particularly quantitative easing as well relative to our central bank so it might highlight a sort of a relative more dovish position uh, relative to other central banks. So it could be interesting. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Great to talk. Uh, we'll catch you again. Thanks, Rodrigo. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. And I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.